Church, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to go ahead and open them and make your way over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Last week we were in the text just prior to this, and this morning we're going to look at the following section of text. Last week, of course, was kind of at the the tail end of what Matthew records of Jesus' public ministry. And as we move into the text this morning, it's a a transition, if you will, uh, to a a more personal time of ministry prior to Jesus going to the cross. So his public ministry is shifting, and now he's going to spend more intimate time with his close disciples. And so that's, that's the transition point as we begin to move into this text this morning. Before we begin, we'll walk through this, uh, beginning in verse 21, but I'd like to just go to the Lord in prayer once more and ask for his help this morning. Father, again, uh, I'm grateful to stand before your people. Lord, I'm humbled by the opportunity. And in particular this morning, I, I sense my own inabilities, my insufficiencies, And Lord, I ask just as we read that you might fill me up, that that you would be made much of, that in my weakness you are shown to be strong as you are, that we might experience, Lord, your presence this morning. Father, be so gracious to us. I I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do what only you can do. I pray you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart to understand this morning. Lord, we love you, be made much of, and it's in Jesus' name we do pray, amen. All right, church, so as we begin here in verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, certainly Jesus had alluded to this reality many times prior to this. But we know how it is in public venues and settings and the disciples are seeing all the miraculous works. They probably haven't contemplated this reality too much, but now in this much more intimate setting, Matthew is giving us the the summary, if you will, of Jesus' teachings, what he's really pushing on right now, what he's really emphasizing and and it's beginning to set a little differently with the disciples. It's beginning to really sink in that, that, that he's saying these things. And Peter, we love Peter, right? Zealous, passionate, jump into things. Peter takes the Lord Jesus aside. Remember, he, he's already confessed to him as the Christ, the Son of the living God. We know that Peter understands that reality. And he does this in verse 22. Peter took him aside, that being Jesus, and began to rebuke him. That's interesting, huh? Saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. God forbid it. He, he has these two emphatic statements. No, Lord, it, it can't happen. Th- these things. And remember, l- look at the text in verse 21. That he must go. Jesus is emphasizing this, that that this is going to happen. It it must. And Peter's saying, no, Lord, it can't. You you can't do this. He's rebuking the Lord Jesus here. Now, that calls me to pause as I approach this text. 
why would Peter, who we already know understands that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, why would he rebuke him? Why rebuke the Lord? Is it because Peter's angry at Jesus? I don't think so. Not really. Is it that Peter maybe has a bit of a misconception for what the messianic role looks like? The coming of the Christ? I I think that's probably part of it. Certainly Peter's not contemplating texts such as Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, where Isaiah speaks of the one who will come, that he will be pierced, he will suffer, he will be as a lamb led to the slaughter. Certainly that's, that's far from Peter's mind here, right? So maybe he's got a misconception. Maybe Peter's beginning to think about the implications for his own ministry. That if this Jesus, whom he's been following for several years now, if he dies, if this happens, what, what happens to me? I've walked away from the family business. I've, I've, I've left the life that I knew. What, what becomes of me? And we, we know that the disciples are beginning to think about some of these things, following Jesus, the implications for their life, because a couple of chapters later, it's John and James who ask Jesus. They say, well, who's going to sit on the left? Who's going to sit on the right? Right? They're, they're beginning to ask these questions. Essentially, who's going to be in your cabinet right, when you become leader? They want to figure these things out. So maybe he's beginning to think about that. But I think foremost, foremost in what Peter is doing here, I, I think he's rebuking the Lord. I think he's saying this out of a sincere heart. I think there's great sincerity in Peter's voice here as he's rebuking the Lord. Just consider this. Peter has now walked with Jesus for several years. He's seen the hungry fed. He's seen the sick healed. He's seen the dead raised. He's seen all these glorious, miraculous works. And now to hear that this Jesus, the one who should never suffer injustice is going to suffer at the hands of these religious leaders in Jerusalem be killed. And he says, no, Lord, that's not the way it's supposed to work. That can't happen. I I, I think it's totally what what Peter is saying is totally well meant. Sincerity of heart. I, I love you. You're my Lord. You're my master. You're my friend. This can't happen. I, I think that's foremost what's behind Peter in this rebuke. Now, with that in mind, what would we anticipate Jesus' response to be? Look with me in verse 23. But he turned, that being Jesus, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. Whoa. That might not be what you anticipate, right? Now, is Jesus saying that Peter here is possessed by the devil? No, that's not what he's saying at all. But rather, what Peter is saying is not in line with the purposes of God. As well-intended as it is, it doesn't line up here. It's more humanistic. 
it's more as, as well-meaning as it may be, it, it doesn't have the purposes of God, the interest of God in mind. Now, what are the purposes of God, the interest of God in this? In the coming of Christ, His suffering, His death? If we were to fast forward all the way over to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, we see there the purpose and the suffering, the Lamb that was slain, that Jesus was slain to purchase for God a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That they would be a kingdom and priest to our God. That's what Jesus is doing. That, that is the intention in this. That, that's the purpose of God in Jesus' death. That He's purchasing for God a people that will be clean. Kingdom of priests. But that's not what Peter's thinking about. That's not where his mind is. Whereas before, in his assertion that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, God had revealed that, the Father, not here. This is Peter falling back on himself. His own intellect, his own desires. When Kathleen and I were preparing to, to come on this trip, uh, to spend this time with you, it's been a really wonderful time here over this past week, uh, eight days, however long it's been, um, we began to share about this with our church and with friends and, and family. And many were so supportive and came and said, we're just really encouraged and, and we just were praying for you in this and whatever the Lord may have. and Just, just very encouraging to us and to our hearts. But there were a few that came, people that I know that love us, love us dearly, would do anything that we ever asked them to do. And they would come and they would say, Seth, do you know what the crime rate is in Brazil? Like, if you checked that out, you Googled any of this stuff, right? What about healthcare? What about the kids? What, what about Jed? What about, what about all these things? Well-meaning, well-intended, out of love. But the question they never ask is, well, what is God intending to do in this? What, what purpose does God have in this? You see that, church? Here's a key point that I think we can draw from this. Good intentions do not equal obedient actions. Good intentions do not equal obedient actions. We can be well-meaning and be far from the purposes of God. I, I dare say that in churches all around the world this morning... They're believers, they're disciples of Christ that are gathering together, many seated in pews and chairs. And if they were to have a personal interaction with the Lord Jesus this morning, He may very well say, you're a stumbling block to me. Your purposes, your, in, your interest, your desires, they are not lined up with mine. So church, if, if that's where we are this morning, if, if your chief interest is not in the things of God, we need to repent of that. We need to repent. Now, as Jesus has this conversation with Peter, He then is going to turn in verse 24. Remember, He had pulled him aside. Peter pulled Jesus aside. They're having this conversation 
over to themselves, but, but then he brings the whole disciples back in. He's, he's going to address them all here in verse 24 and following. Look with me. He says, Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a pretty bold proclamation, right? Pretty weighty, pretty heavy. Even, I dare say, very countercultural, very against what, what the world in which we live says. Because what's, what's the world say? What, what does the world around us, outside of the church, say? It says, do this. It says, you, you must not deny yourself. You self-indulge. You indulge. You gain. You acquire. Get as much as you can in this life. Acquire as much as you can. Put aside as much as you can. Spend as much as you can. Do, do all that you can to enjoy everything you can now. Enjoy your best life now. That, that's, that's what the world is saying. And Jesus, contrary to that, says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Now, there's much we can unpack in that, but I want to look at verse 26 as a lens to look back into this. Okay, look with me in verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's Jesus doing here? He's zooming things out. We in our life, we can get so focused on the here and now and just we have blinders on. And Jesus is zooming this out. As He so often does, as Scripture so often does, it illuminates us to reality. Church, you, you may have 20 years in this life. You may have 40 or 60 or 80 years in this life. We were talking in the kitchen a little bit earlier, a couple of us, and there was a neighbor of someone who, their neighbor was in their 90s, and uh, I shared how my great-grandmother, she had lived to be 104 the Lord may give you a long life, what we would perceive as a long life, 104 years. But those 104 years are, are just a drop, a drop in the sea of eternity. This life, the here and now, what we have here, is just a drop in eternity. And what we do in this, this life that we've been given has repercussions for all of eternity. That's what Jesus is doing here. He, he's framing things up. He's giving us eyes to see and understand here. The repercussions for what we do, for how we live. Kathleen and I have had the opportunity to live in, in a lot of places. And I know many of you have as well. It's a very diverse congregation. A lot of experience all around the world. But one of the places that we lived, we had the opportunity to go and spend some time with some believers that were really the only believers in their village. It was a very unevangelized area, very unchurched. They were, they were again, the only believing family in their area. 
And they began to share with us about some other places around the region and a couple believers here and there. And time went by, we went back to the city in which we lived and, and we received some tragic news that one of the individuals who we had heard about, how God had been using him, someone that Kathleen knew previously, that this individual had been in his home, again, one of the only believers in his village, and some men from the town came and pulled him out of his house. They took him outside the gate, and they said, Yusuf, you need to renounce this faith of yours, this Jesus that you proclaim as king. You, you need to renounce him, or you're going to die. And much like Polycarp, so many generations before, who said, how can I forsake my Lord? He's, he's done me no wrong. Yusuf would not renounce his faith. And so outside his gate, with his family standing nearby, Yusuf was executed. He lost his life. But what does the text say? But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He transitioned from life to life because he was a follower of Jesus. Now church, I, I don't know how... Th this, this may not be asked of all of us in this room. It may not be asked of any of us in this room. That situation may not happen to you. I don't know. How God in His sovereignty decides which of His believers will suffer what, I, I, I can't say. I don't know. He in His providence and His sovereignty and His reign, He decides that. You may never be in that situation. But you may be in a situation where following Jesus may cost you a relationship, a friendship, maybe a job opportunity. Maybe it causes some tension within your family. So the question is, will you follow Jesus? When, when that occasion arises, whatever it may be, whatever comes before you, whether it's your life or something else, will you follow Him? Church, following Jesus is costly. It will cost you. Salvation is free. Don't mishear me. We are saved by grace. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Lest any man should boast. We, we, we don't do that. Jesus did that. Right? But to follow Him will cost you. So how do we endure such suffering? How do we endure such hardship? Should the Lord appoint that for us? Again, I, I don't know. Maybe you won't deal with that in your life. I thought of this last night. I trust that it wasn't in my notes. Um, but something I shared in the first service, I felt like the Lord kept me up some last night pondering over this. And I ended up in the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 10, there's a church there that the author is writing about. And this church is being persecuted, probably in Rome, and some of the believers have been taken to prison. And there's other believers who are not in prison. 
but they choose to identify with those who are persecuted. They, they go and they, they serve them, they love them, and as a consequence of such, their possessions are looted. They lose their stuff because they're serving these other believers. Let me, let me go there. You're welcome to turn with me if you'd like over in Hebrews chapter 10. That'd probably be wise for us to read this text. This is Hebrews chapter 10, picking up in verse 34. It says, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Did you catch that? They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. We Christians are some weird folk, right? Right? Your, your stuff's been seized and they joyfully accept it. Why? Look, look at the next part of this verse. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. How do you endure that? Their eyes were on what was to come. A better possession than what was in the here and the now. They're looking to the kingdom that is to come. And I, I think that's exactly in line with where Matthew is going here and recounting this in, in Matthew 16. Because the very next thing that he says in verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Church, my question is, where are your eyes this morning? Are your eyes so fixed on the here, the now? We get so... Uh, this is a a southern expression, been out of shape, right? I don't know if that... We, we, we get upset or distraught over things that we ought not. Things that in the scope of eternity do not matter. How, how do you endure suffering? How do you endure hardship? How do you deal with all of these things? You have your eyes fixed on Him. That Christ one day will return. That one day we'll see Him and we'll meet Him. So church, as we close, I'm going to just close with a couple of questions for our consideration. One, where are our interests? Are we seeking the purposes of God this morning in what we do? I, I hope and pray that I didn't have this in my notes either, so I'm just trusting the Lord in this. I hope and pray that as Kathleen and, as I, Kathleen and I return to the U.S., I know there's a decision to be made in this church family. And, and my hope and desire is that we consider far more than our own preferences, whatever that may be. What is it that God would have? That, that's my exhortation to you this morning. What, what does God have for Calvary International Church? What is His interest? And that we elevate that above anything that we might desire apart from His interest. Secondly, maybe you've never followed Jesus this morning. And I start talking about this and laying aside our own desires and laying aside our own life and losing your life. And What does that look like, friend? It looks like going to Jesus and saying, Lord... 
I want to love you and serve you and follow you. And I know that I'm a sinner. I've messed up. And I need your grace. I need you to save me. I need your redemption. And I see that that's why you died, to extend that to me. And so, Lord, please forgive me. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He poured out his blood to purchase a people. Praise God for that. And you can be a part of that family, that people this morning. So I invite you. We're going to have a, a time here in just a moment. The worship band's going to come back up and, and we'll sing together. But there's going to be some folks out here to the side that are ready and willing to pray for you. I'm going to go out there myself. We'd love to pray with you this morning. Maybe, maybe you've got a heavy burden you're feeling. Maybe you want to know Jesus. We'd love to share him with you. Church, I hope you'll be obedient, friend, to whatever God's asking you to do this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, uh, the guys will come, and you be obedient to what God's asking. Let me pray. Father, I thank you again for this morning, Lord, that you've given us. It is a gift, and I pray that we not squander it. Lord, that Lord, that we consider that how we respond today to your call, to your movement in our life, how we respond has implications for eternity. And so, Father, I just pray and ask that if there's someone this morning that they sense a restlessness in their chest, in their, their heart. That's not Seth Barkley doing that. That's not a neighbor beside them doing it. That's, that's not uh, some, some environmental whatever. That, that is you, by your Spirit, stirring their heart that they might adjust to the purposes of God, that they might, if they don't know you, give their life to you to submit under your rule and your reign. And So, Father, I just pray they'd walk in obedience this morning, that they'd say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I want to follow you. I'm going to lay down my own desires, my own preferences, and whatever you ask. If it costs me a job, if it costs me a relationship, if it costs me my physical life, whatever you ask, Lord, I'm yours. I pray that be our, our heart's cry this morning. Lord, that we might be a people so radically oriented on walking in obedience that, that the city and the world around us, has, there, there's something different about those people. There's something distinct. Father, be made much of always, and it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. You be obedient.